Okay, we're learning Daf Yudkimol. So we were talking right at the end yesterday. If uh, Mordechai was from Shevet Binyamin or Shevet Yehuda, seemed to have a discrepancy in the Pasuk, and we had a bunch of different interpretations about it. One of the interpretations is that really it's from Shevet Binyamin, but Yehuda, uh, someone who's always thinking and grateful to Akhalus Baruch Hu, is a term that's used whenever someone has an experience when they deny about Azar. So since that's obviously the story with Mordechai refusing to bow down, Therefore, he got the new title of Yehudi. So the Gemara Darshan's now further, another context where we seem to see this. We are in the last narrow line, Yud Gimom and Aleph, about eight lines down. Rishon and Pazik have a Pazik with Dibre Hayyamim, when he would introduce the Sefer Dibre Hayyamim. So Dibre Hayyamim, right, one of the books of Tanakh, it's a little bit more historical. Um, but at any rate, when he was giving introductions to Dibre Hayyamim, Amr Hachi, he said the following statement, Kol all of your words, Divrei Hayyamim, he speaks to Divrei Hayyamim, he speaks to the book like it's a person. All of your words are one. We know how to darshan them. Meaning, Divrei Hayyamim, more than anything else, is a bunch of names. Talking about, you know, just documenting all the names of Jewish history. So there's a lot of times where we'll say so-and-so, 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 and it's really all the same person, but the, uh, the names are just many descriptions of that person. And even though you can't really tell it sometimes, literally from reading the text, but if we know how to darshan it, we know how to expound it, then we'll get to that conclusion. So now Rishon and Pazi gives an example of this. So here, what are we talking about? So we, we seem to be talking about somebody, um, a woman whose name is Yehudia. So that's Yehudi, just in the feminine. And she's giving birth, it seems like, to a bunch of people. So we've got Yered, the father of Gedar, Chever, father of Sochel, Yekusiel, father of Zenoach, a bunch of people. It seems like this woman Yehudia is giving birth to. And then the passage continues that this woman, all these children are the children of Bisya, or Basya, the way we usually pronounce it, the daughter of Paro, and she married somebody named Mered. So it's very confusing because in the beginning of the Pasuk we call her Yehudia. At the end of the Pasuk we call her Basya, Basparo. And then we're describing all the children that she has. So am I calling her Yehudia? Why would we call her Yehudia? If her name is Basya, the end of the Pasuk says, why are we calling her Yehudia? The answer is, Hashem Shekafar Babadazara. The whole idea is that she was Kofar Babadazara. She denied the idolatry. Where do we see that? This week's parasha. She goes to bathe down by the river. So Chazal explained what it is bathing. She's going to cleanse herself. She's going to mikvah. It's not the pshat stam, you know. She's going to the bathhouse here. She's going and she meets Moshe in the context when she's going to cleanse herself. Rashi says a very interesting thing that it seems to be with Mamashi uh, uh, a lashon of Geras here. The tefillah here with Geras, which is really tough to understand because there was no thing to convert to. Klai Yisrael themselves had to convert at the time of Mount Torah. They had to undergo the conversion. Mila and tefillah, the Gemara in Ranyavama says. So what is this conversion that she's undergoing at this point? It seems difficult to understand, Rashi, literally. But Al-Kupanim, that's the drosh of the Gemara, that she denies of a Zara, and there, that's why we're explaining this Gemara in, 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 in the Pasuk in Debra Yomim, that even though her name is Bisya, but she's also referred to with an alternative name of Yehudiya. Now, the Pasuk goes on to say that she has chosen Yered Hever Yekusiya. The Gemara later is going to tell us that all of those names are just alternative descriptions of Moshe Rabbeinu. So the Shaila is, is she really the mother of Moshe Rabbeinu? Yolda, does she, be, she give birth to Moshe? Remember we say she just raised him. So what do we see from here? Anyone who raises an orphan boy or girl, as if they give birth to him. So here, Moshe was separated from his parents, the whole story. 
And Bitsya, who is also named Yehudiyah, raises him. So therefore, the Pasuk in Devar Yom says that she gave birth to him. And now we continue where how we see that all these names, Yered, Chever, Yekusiel, are all a description of Moshe Rabbeinu. Yered, said Moshe, why is it called Yered? She Yared Lehemun. He descended the Mun for Kali Israel. He brought the Mun down. Yared, he made the Mun come down. Gedar, Gedar is like, you know, like a, a fence without breaches. So God, the Prince of Savior Israel, he closed up all the fences in the breaches of Kali Israel. So what does that mean? So it's possible this is a reference to Torah, the Marshall says. The idea is that the, you know, the, an immoral behavior is like a breach in a fence in the way, and the Torah keeps it secure. Chever, Chever is a connector. That's Moshe Rabbeinu's job. He connects us to Adikadosh Baruch Hu. Soho, so Soch means a bunch of things in Hebrew, but one of the things like a sukkah is like a covering. He became like a sukkah in the sense that he protected Yisrael from punishment throughout his time. Lekvos means to hope. So because of Moshe Rabbeinu, Yisrael had a hope. They looked toward, toward Adikadosh Baruch Hu with hope. Zanoach, she's near after sin, she's Zanoach means to like remove, to cut off. So they, he must have cut off all of the sins of Klaisrael because through his filos, Hashem ended up forgiving them. And then what else? The Pasuk, the, what's interesting about the Pasuk here is that it always says the father of this, the father, that father, Gedar, father, so Chafazra, Zanoach. So the Gemara says, Avi, 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 what is this going on? These three names. It just means Avatar, Avachachma, Avinavias. Av just means he was a leader. The Pasuk isn't saying literally. You know, it's, it's hard to see where it says Torah, wisdom, and prophecy. But we just. The three Avs shows that Moshe is a leader in three different capacities, and we're interpreting Torah, wisdom, and prophets. Now, what's the end of the Pasuk? So we're saying that this is the daughter of Bisya, right? The daughter of power of Bisya. And then she married someone named Mered. So who's this Mered character? His name's not Mered, his name is Kalev. It's an interesting thing that um, we know she married Kalev, and the, reason, the main reason we know she married Kalev is that the Pasuk in Devei Yamim, and there's a few reasons, but the, simply, in that Pasuk, the context is talking about the children of Kalev. And then suddenly it mentions this Pasuk about Yehudiyah, that she marries someone named Mered, having all these children. So why is he calling, why are we calling him Mered, if it, clearly his name is Kalev? So the answer is, It's fitting for Kalev to come, who rebelled, he was Marad, right? He rebelled against the, the plan of the spies. And he should come, Vyisa's Bas Pyro, Mary Pyro's Pyro's daughter, Shemarda, she rebelled against the idolatry of her father's house. So it's like it's a good meet the meet. It's a good shidduch in the sense that both the husband and the wife are people who have rebelled, rebelled against what was common around them. Kalev is rebelling against the plan of Miraglam, he's marrying Abyssia Bas Pyro, who rebels against the Avodazara in her father's house. So that's more or less what's going on. So this is a great example. The reason we're learning this is because the phrase the, the term of Yehudiyah which is a description here for Bishop Basparo, is being used, similarly as we just found, Ish Yehudi, which is used for Mordechai. Both of them are not from Sheva Yehuda, but they're called Yehudi in the sense that they were Kofar Babo de Zara. All right, now we go back to the Megillah. So it goes, right, this is the turn from, uh, this is the time when the, the Balkari starts doing the Eichatun. Asher Haglami Rishalayim, who has been, we're talking about Mordechai, Mordechai was exiled. He had been exiled from Rishalayim. So the language, you really have to know grammar to appreciate this Gemara. The language Hagla, Amar Rabbasha, Galame Atzmo. The implication is that he went to exile from his own will. He wasn't forced into exile. It wasn't that he was exiled, it's that he exiled himself. It was in his own volition. So that, and this is interesting, you know. Nebuchadnezzar did not, this is one of the things, you know, Nebuchadnezzar did not deal with all Jews in the same way. Some he forced, some he sent here, some he sent there, some he let stay. It was a different approach that he took for all of them. So he actually, what's interesting here is that Mordechai, Mordechai seems that he left, he goes into exile before 
And it seems that this is all part of the divine orchestration. He went into exile specifically to Persia. It's like a very interesting place to choose. What's he doing in Persia? Everyone is like, did everyone go to Babel? Like, what's going on? What's this big Jewish community in Shushan? Huh? Jews of Shushan? Why are the Jews in Shushan? So it seems it was all a self-imposed exile. It was all led by Mordechai. And Mordechai went and established some sort of spirituality in the city of Shushan long before. And the Gala says he did it long before there was a Persian empire with a capital there. Right? He's doing this before at the time of Nebuchadnezzar. Right? Very interesting. And then and everything, Von Lugotin even has an idea that this is what actually may have even caused the capital to become Shushan. So it's a fascinating idea. It was all Haglam Yerushalayim. It was all a decision that Mordechai makes here. Okay. So he omines Hadassah. He raises Hadassah. And the Pasuk says, she is Esther. So there's an obvious question here with names. Carla Hadassah, Carla Esther. We call her both Hadassah and Esther. What's the shot? What's her name? Tanya says, Her name is Esther. All righteous people are called Hadassah. Hadassah are the myrtle branches, right? We take those on Sukkot. The Chinor of Omid ben Hadassim. Pasuk in Zachariah. He has a vision, he's standing amongst the Sadiqim who are called uh, the Hadassim here. Really, she, her name is Hadassim. Like Listar means like, to keep playing quiet. She was concealed, right? She kept quiet where, where, where the fact that she was Jewish. She didn't tell anybody what she was from. Why is she referred to as well as Esther? So this is Aramaic, but Istahar, Sahara means the moon. So if the Sahara means the moon, you know, it's English. In English we say this also, we call it a beautiful moon, right? Why is the moon beautiful? Why can't the sun be beautiful? I don't know. But there's something we always describe as the moon as being a beautiful thing. So that's the shot here. We're saying that everyone who saw Esther, um, they called her like as beautiful as the moon. So that's where she got the name Esther. She was really named Esther. She's called Adasa because she was just like the myrtle and since she wasn't tall, she wasn't short. She was an average height, just like the myrtle branch. So therefore, even though her name was Esther, she's called Hadassah. So a bunch of different interpretations if she was really Hadassah or Esther. Actually, she looked a little bit green. Even though she had this bad complexion, she didn't look so good, her skin. She got a chush of chesed, HaKadosh Baruch who extended some sort of good favor, and then suddenly she appeared beautiful. Pasuk goes on to say, Ki in law, why did Mordechai raise her? Because she didn't have parents. So it's clear she, so what's the, ne- then, 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 then the Pasuk is like redundant, it says she didn't have a parent, a parents, and then it says, if Mosa ma, and when her father and her mother had died, and then Mordechai took her. So lovely, why, does that actually, why is that necessary? If the Pasuk in the beginning says she doesn't have a, a father or a mother, so clearly, it was her parents died. Why does the Pasuk have to say that? So, the Pasuk is trying to say she never had a father. I don't know exactly what the significance is, but the point is that it wasn't Stam that she was missing a parent. It's that she never had a parent her entire life. How was that? At the time when her mother conceived her, her father died. So her father died while her mother was pregnant, and her mother died in childbirth. So there was never a moment when Esther was living in the world with any parent. When her father Mordechai died, Mordechai took her as a daughter. So don't read it literally that it was a daughter. You should read it as his home. What does it mean he took her as a home? It means he married her, a wife. Mordechai married here, um, Esther. So this, this is the whole thing in Shmuel where David and Bathsheba, and Oria, he sent up Oria, the whole story. At any rate, the Nasan Hanavi comes and gives Musr to David Amalek for taking Bathsheba. So he describes it all as a muscle. In the analogy, he says it was a poor man who had nothing but one little sheep. 
that he had bought. He keeps, he raises her. She grows up together with him and his children. She would eat from his bread, drink from his cup, and it says, She would lie in his lap. And she was like a daughter. So the Gemara analyzes the Pesach. Because she lies in his lap, she's like a daughter. Right, which one is it? It must mean that not like a daughter, but like a home. She's like a, a wife. Who's lying in her husband's lap. So, so to, just as we see over there, Labas is really, um, should be read like Labayas and is a reference to a wife. So to hear Mordechai taking her like a daughter really means he took her like a wife. So now we're skipping a little bit. What happens is, is that Esther is taken to the palace, right? She's taken to, with Haggai as one of the girls that's going to go to the king. So it says that she was taken together with her seven maids. So what are these seven maids? What's their function? She would keep, she would count the days of shot of the days of the week through them to know and keep track which day was Shabbos. So in other words, she had a rotation of seven maids and she was able to remember which day was Shabbos because when she was able to identify that maid who comes in on Shabbos, whenever she would come in, she would know it was Shabbos. Then the Pasik says, talking about He changed her and her maids. So what does that mean? The Pasha Shad is that Hegai did like a special favor for Esther. So the Shad is, well, what, what, what did he do for her? He changed. What is that? He fed her only kosher food. So it's very interesting because, right, Esther is hiding the fact that she's Jewish. But here, he guy's only, you know, slipping her kosher food. So maybe it's part of the diet. Maybe it's part of the culture. Maybe only he guy knew. Maybe it could be blamed that everybody knew she grew up at Mordecai's house and she was used to kosher food. Anyway, Esther is only making sure, in this opinion, or in Rob's opinion, to eat kosher food. Actually, he was, he was feeding her some, some, some pig with some delicacy. So now there's a big question here whether or not Mordechai ate it. Rashi seems to say that Mordechai, that, I'm sorry, whether Esther ate it. Mordechai, uh, Rashi seems to say Esther, Esther eats this pork. She didn't have any choice. Taisa seems to say chas v'shalom. Different opinions about that. He gave her seeds. It's like, you know, you go to a place, there's no kosher food, so you ask for a salad, right? That's like that idea. We see this by Daniel where the food wasn't kosher. It was an amazing thing. They, they didn't eat any of the food. And then they only had seeds and they were so strong and they were like these, you know, these prodigies over here in the, in the palace. Okay. Then the Pasuk goes on to tell us all about the treatments. So it says that they would prepare for the, for the king. There were six months with Shem and Hamar. So what is that? My Shem and Hamar, Chibra Abba Amar. Sitach, it's a type of balsam, like a balsam oil. Actually, it's olive oil, but it comes from olives which aren't yet a third of the regular growth. So evidently the oil, the oil that comes from them is very good. Tanya, and Pakion, the name on Pakion, is Shemitzai That's what it is. It's oil from olives that haven't been a third. What's the point of all these things, right? The, the Shem and Hamar. Well, what's, what's the point of it? Shamashir esasear, it removes the unwanted hair on the body. Ma'adin is it causes the skin to glow. Then what happened? It says that in the, in the evening she would go to the king, and in the morning she would return, unless the king wanted her again. So, even though we see from this bad behavior of Achashverosh, how he's taking all these women and sending them away, but obviously that's an immoral behavior. But from the immorality, we see something positive. What do we see? Shalom Shabbos, that's my He didn't have relations during the day. He was more private. He only did it at night. Okay. Esther found favor in the eyes of everyone. So we had this idea back in Dab Zion that everyone who saw her 
saw Esther as being someone from their own land. Everybody thinks that the girls from the, where, they, where they are from are the most beautiful. So Esther had that favor that everyone who saw her thought that she appeared to them like being from their own land. Pretty cool, we're learning this in the month of Tevis. But the Megillah makes a point of saying that she was taken to the palace in the 10th month, the month of Tevis. Why is that? What, what's the significance? It says, It's the month when one body derives most pleasure from another body. Meaning, the, relation, the relations is most um, pleasurable during Tevis because of the cold. So people, the bodies being close to each other, um, is, 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 most bene- is most pleasurable. So that's why the Hashkacha worked out that it happened for Esther that way. I have HaMelech has a term he called on Hashem. Esther loves her more, he loves Esther more than all the women. And she has more grace than all the other Bisulos. So it's interesting. In the beginning of the Pasuk it says he loves her more than women. More than all the other women. And, and it says he likes her, right, more than all the other virgins. So it seems like there's a switch in the Pasuk. I'm sorry. If he wanted to taste literally the the he wanted it to feel like he was having relations with a virgin, then he had it when he was having uh, relations with Esther. If he wanted to feel like he was having relations with a non-virgin, he felt that as well. Meaning there's like different preferences that people have. Achashverosh was able somehow to feel both pleasures with his relations with Esther. The king makes a huge banquet. So what's going on? Why is he making such a huge banquet again? Well, well it's a little bit strange. And then the apostle goes on to say he gathers more girls. Like, it's very strange. First he wants Esther, he makes her the queen, and then he's making another banquet, and then he's getting more girls again. What's going on? So the Gemara explains what the intentions of Achashverosh are. He makes a feast in her honor, and it was all to get her to reveal what nation she was from. It was very important, this idea, like Esther should, should tell where she's from. So he makes a big feast, hoping that would encourage her. He takes away the head tax, right? In other words, in her honor, he says, in, in, in the honor of my new, my new queen, he's taking away the tax. That still doesn't, she doesn't reveal. Then he sends gifts to important people in her name, and she, doesn't, she still doesn't reveal anything. And the Megillah says, When the girls were gathered a second time, so the Gemara explains, Achashverosh went and he asked advice from Mordechai. Advice, you know, how am I going to get, how am I going to get her to disclose where she's from? So Amar Mordechai said, A woman is not jealous unless a man is, her husband is being intimate with another woman. So if you're going to gather all the girls again, that will make Esther jealous. She'll want a closeness with you. And then that will make her disclose where she's from. That was the advice, ironically, which Mordechai is giving Achashverosh, even though Mordechai doesn't want Esther to say. And that's what the Megillah goes on to say. Achashverosh was following all this advice from Mordechai. It didn't make any difference. Esther didn't budge. And the Pazza goes on to say, Esther did not tell. Did Achashverosh did that Mordechai? Seems so. Seems so, yeah. I'm sorry. Well, it seems that Mordechai was planning, was keeping, he wanted it, as it ended up being. It was very important that it wasn't known. It, was, um, it seems that that was part of the way that Jews ended up being saved. So he just foresaw it. What's the meaning of the Pasuk? Who never takes his eyes away from a righteous person, a Pasuk in Eov. It seems Hashem always knows what the Tzadikim are doing. There's always a reward for that. What does that mean? Because of the word of the modesty that Rachel had, Rachel Imenu, 
she merits Shaul, right? Shaul is from Sheva Binyamin, a descendant of Rafa. So that was a schloss for Rachel's modesty. Then this continues because of the modesty of Shaul. Zalchus has an Esther. He has he has um, Esther who's also modest. So it's like a midah connected midah that the modesty comes from this. It's interesting, by the way, that, that we're saying here that Esther is a descendant of Shaul. We've never said that, but I guess it makes sense. You know, it must be it, 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 there's some relationship between Mordechai and Esther, and Mordechai was from Shevet Yamin, so then Esther also is. Anyway, so it keeps on continuing. So they all have tzniyos. So the Gemara now elaborates on this. My tzniyos is Rachel. Where is the modesty in Rachel? It says Yaakov told Rachel he was the brother of her father. Now, is that accurate? Is Rachel, is, is, is Yaakov the brother of Rachel's father? It's not true. He's not the brother of her father. He's really the son of Rivka, her father's sister. So what's going on? Why is he not saying it correctly? Ella, Amar La, means believe this, what happened? He said to Rachel, can you marry me? Amar lay in. She said, yes, me, you Abba Ramah. I'm warning you, my father is a Ramah. He's a, he's a tricker. You're not going to be able to, to, to beat him. Amar La, Yaakov said, Achiv I am his brother in trickery, meaning I could, I could do it. So that's what he meant. He's saying, I'm the brother of your father. He means I'm a match for him in trickery. So Amalei Rachel said, Mishari, let's do this good but are righteous people allowed to act like that? Right? With the trickery? Amalei, and he said, yes. Why? Because the Pasuk says, in Nafar, Titavar, Mikesh, Devatal, with a pure person you act pure, with a crooked person you act crooked. So it's not against the ways of the righteous to, 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 to use deception when they're dealing with deceptive people. So Amalei, Umay, Ramu, so Yaakov asked, why, what's this trickery that you speak of? Amalei, she answered, Isli, Mina, I have a sister who is older than I. My father will never marry me off before her. So he's going to try to trick you to marry her. So therefore, Master Lassimanim, Yaakov gave Rachel signs, signs to be able to identify her, to prevent Lavan from switching. When the night came, when they were getting married, so Rachel sees the whole thing coming out. So Amr Hashem, she says, now my sister is going to be a shame. My sister won't be embarrassed. So she gave her the signs. I came in the morning and behold, it was Leah. What? Until the morning, it was not Leah. Because of the signs that Rachel gave to Leah, Yaakov was not aware until the morning that it was Leah. So what's interesting is that the Gemara describes this. Probably this is not the word that we would have used in the story, but the Gemara uses the word that this was a tzniyus. This was modesty in Rachel. So the Fiqhul Zahsim Rosen were Sha'ul. Therefore, Shaul descended for her. What's the modesty of Shaul? What happens was there was a story. Um, basically, after Shaul met Shmuel, Shmuel anoints him as king. So, you know, he just became king of, king of Israel today. Right? Pretty, pretty important news. Shaul made a family member and uh, he says, Where were you? And Shaul says, oh, I went to look for some lost donkeys, this and that. Shmuel helped me find them. He doesn't mention the fact that Shmuel also anointed him as king. So, that was modesty. He didn't, he didn't disclose that he had just become king. So Shaul was modest, and he got the modesty from Rachel. For some reason, the Gemara is describing that as modesty in the idea that she um, gave the Simanim over to Leah. And then what's interesting is that now we're saying that it continues forever, that the modesty goes over to, to Esther as well. It, it, seems that, it seems in the context of the Gemara that the modesty is the fact that, um, that she, wasn't, she wasn't too concerned, you know, with nothing was motivating her. To disclose where, where she was, that she was a Jew. All right, so now the Gemara goes to the end of that Pasuk. Well, this whole thing came from the Pasuk, of the Pasuk in Yehov, that Kalash Baruch who never stops looking at the deeds of a righteous person. 
So Amar Blaz, we look at the end of the Pasuk Hashbarach, who posted to Laman Rakal Hashbarach, who gives greatness to a person, posted Labanov, Labnevanov, at Saif Kaladaris. This is the idea of Yichos, right? That, that, that when Hashem gives something great, he gives it great for the continuation, for all the descendants as well. He established them forever and they're exalted. But if the person is haughty that he is so great, his descendants are great, will lower him. As the Pasuk goes to say in the next Pasuk, but if they are bound in chains. So basically, it's right after the Pasuk that Hashem exalts them. So what's the juxtaposition? Why is a person in chains after he's been exalted? The answer is, first, HaKadosh Baruch exalts them. If they, if they are arrogant with it, and instead they are lowered. All right, then we continue. There's Ma'amar, Mordechai, Esther, Osa. What Mordechai would ask, Esther would do. So what is this talking about? She used to show the blood of the Nida to the Chachamim, meaning she kept the halachos of Nida. So what's interesting here is that obviously it seems like Esther is intimate with Achashverosh. So what happens is, is that she's, she, she, she also was going to have relations with Mordechai. And it was important for her to keep the halachos of Nida. So that's what it was. She was keeping the halacha. Kashari some of told like she was when she raised with him. Our rabbi, she used to lie with Achashverosh, and then she would immerse herself and go be with Mordechai. So this is an interesting thing. First of all, it says she was going in the to the mikvah. So it's interesting we learn this. There's no chi of mikvah, right? In other words, she kept Ochos Nida. That's one thing. So presumably she went to the mikvah after she was in Nida, but. The, there's no, is there, is there, is there any din of mikvah between being with a guy and being with a, being with a Jew? There's no din of mikvah. A little bit reminding of Amaral, where we see Bath Power was going to the mikvah uh, to cleanse herself, even though Rashi was saying it was a geris, it's a shver, it's a geris, a little geris. Is there something much more to mikvah and like a spiritual cleansing? Now who cares? Here, I don't know, I'm not so sure, but she went and she immersed herself before she was with Mordechai. Now the Gemara seems like a funny thing how, uh, how it could be this way, right? You're not allowed to, if she indeed, if she was married, and then it seems very strange that she was, she was having relations as a married woman and then going back to her husband. The Gemara says that that's redaction that a woman is forbidden. So how does that work? So, so, the, so the Rishonim tell us an interesting thing. There were two different approaches in the Rishonim. One is that she was never active. She was always karka olam. And karka olam, as long as the woman is not active, she doesn't initiate in any way the relations. And here she was considered almost like under duress that she did it. So therefore she doesn't become master on her husband. And the other approach that in the Rishonim is that even though when a married woman has relations with a man while she's married, it becomes, she becomes Asra on her husband. That's not true with the relations with a guy. Relations with a guy does not make her Asra on her husband, which is an interesting idea. The guy are compared to animals in the Pasuk, and um, we say, so there may be something to that. All right, so at any rate, it seems that she would go continue um, her relations. Okay. They continue her, her, her relationship with Mordechai. It was in those days Mordechai was sitting at the king's gate. Big son and Seresh got angry and they wanted to assassinate Achashrev. So Amar, Rav Chiyabar, Amar, Biyochan, and Hiksva, Kodesh Baruch Hu, Adon, Adon, Kodesh Baruch Hu, caused the master to be angry with his servants. Lassos, but so in Tzadik. That was all to fulfill the will of a Tzadik. Umanu, who is this? Yosef, Shinemar, Rishom, Itonu, Na'ar, Ivri. Like with us is Na'ar, Ivri. This was the whole thing with the uh, Power got upset at the Sar Mashkim and the Sar Ophim. And that's how everything happened for they had their dreams, and Yosef interpreted them. And then because of that, Yosef appears back in, uh, back in front of Paro. It all happened because of that. So the very reason why Paro got angry with, the, with, the, with his people, with his servants, was just to get Yosef out of prison. A very, very interesting idea. 
Um, in other words, the Gemara here doesn't tell us about the whole thing with the fly and the wine and the pebble and the right, the pebble and the bread. This whole thing, the Gemara just using like oh, it was, it was all it was all for 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 Yosef. Baruch also does the other way. He can cause servants to get married, upset with their master. to get a miracle for a righteous man. That's this story. Hakadosh Baruch who perpetrated the whole thing. He causes. He causes Big Son and Sarah, the servants, to get mad with their master. And eventually, that's all for the good of Mordechai. You know, he says, you don't know the Mordechai, he tells the king, and then he ends up getting rewarded later. And that's what turns the tide in the Purim story. So now the Gemara tells us exactly how Mordechai discovered the secret. They were two Tarshans. They, they, they were speaking in that language. And they said, from the day that this woman came to the palace, we haven't gotten any sleep. What does that mean? So it's, it's very interesting. Rashi seems to say that Ahasuerus loved Esther so much, he was always having relations with her. No matter, all these random times during the night, he was having relations. So he, always, he was always thirsty. So they were always providing him with drinks. Like they never got, a, they never got rest, basically. That's what it seems like. So Bob and Atal Eres, let's put a poison in the bowl of water. So Ahasuerus, when he drinks, he'll die. They didn't know that Mordechai was from the, originally from the people of the Sanhedrin, the Lushka Sagazes, the people who stabbed by the Lushka Sagazes in the base, in the base of Mekdash. And uh, one of the criteria for the Sanhedrin was to know all the 70 languages of the world. So Mordechai understood everything they said. So that's how he was able to inform Esther to warn Achashverosh. Amar lo, lo So one said to the other, my post and your post are not the same. How are we going to do this together? We don't, we, don't, we don't do it at the same time. I will go on my post and your post. It's very interesting. There's got to be some, I mean, the first one discussed it, but there's got to be something deeper about understanding why that matters, right? Every, every detail here is supposed to matter. My post and your post are not the same. No, I'll guard your post and this post. Now they're together. Now they can carry out the plot. And they weren't found at their post. That was like the proof. Because the whole thing, it seems like you have to figure out what the Gemara really means. But it seems that there was no way that they were going to be able to execute the plan unless, unless, unless one was going to guard his post and the other post. That was, it seems like that was important, an important detail. So since they weren't at their post, that's how it was found. That's how Mordechai, that's how Ahasuerus was able, so to speak, to bust them up. Okay, Acharez Varma'ila, it was after these things. Now we turn to Haman. Until here, we haven't discussed Haman at all. So now after this, now Haman comes to power. So what's this? After Akadosh Baruch Hu made a refuah to the Makkah. What's a refuah? The, the, the cure. The cure is here. So what's the cure? So Pashup Shad and the cure is that Esther's already the queen. That's the Pashup Shad. After Akadosh Baruch Hu put Esther in the palace and he's already there, so the refuah is there. Now the Makkah can come. Now the affliction can come. Akadosh Baruch Hu doesn't hit Klai Yisrael with something bad. Unless he gave them the cure first. Shinamar. I hear Klaisrael, the city of Mitzrayim will be revealed. Only then will they be punished. It's not that way. First he hits them, and only afterwards they refuah. Hashem hit Mitzrayim, he hits and he heals. So it seems basically that there's this idea for Klaisrael that the refuah is always there before the Baka. So what happened? Mordechai doesn't bow. Everyone else bows to Haman except Mordechai. And if Ayyivah's Be'enov, it was, it was low in his eyes. He, he didn't want to just punish Mordechai. He wanted to punish the whole people. So the Gemara explains, Initially, he wanted just to Mordechai himself, but then he decided, Let me show Mordechai's people. Manu, Rabbani, I'm not sure the rabbis. Eventually, he decided, 
let me destroy all of the Jews. So it was like, you know, a progression of, of, of rage here. He put poor hu agorel. He cast lots, poor hu agorel. So Tana, when Haman saw the lot falling in the month of Adar, he was very happy. It's a good sign. The lot fell in the month that Moshe died. So he thought it was a bad month for the Jews. He was good. He wasn't aware. Yes, it's true. Moshe died in the seventh of Adar. But he was also born on the seventh of Adar. Right? We know that from Moshe says, I'm 120 years old, Ayom today. So he dies on the same day. He was born. So therefore, it wasn't necessarily considered to be a bad month for the Jewish people because the fact that he was born on that day, that counters the fact that he died on that day. So then Haman goes to Achashverosh, right? And he says all this bad stuff about the Jews. He says, yes, no, Amachad, there is this one people. There's no one who knows how to slander as well as Haman knows. This is the dialogue. Haman said, Let's go and destroy the Jews. I'm scared of their God. I don't want him to do to me like he did to the people before me. Right? Look, he remembers very well. He remembers fresh in his memory. He says, they, they, he says they, um, I'm sorry. I skipped. So what is yesh no? Right? So yesh can mean there is. But it's going to punish them. It's good. Hashem is going to be on your side. So there are rabbis. There are some people who do keep the mitzvahs. Yeah, but they're one nation. So what does that mean? They're one nation. So Pashup Shad is is that the rabbis also aren't keeping. That the rabbis aren't keeping the mitzvahs just like everybody else. Or the Pshad is they're all one nation. So even if the rabbis are doing it, the rabbis are responsible for the fact that the other people are not. So it doesn't help that the rabbis personally are doing it. They're one nation. Um, Haman said, maybe you're going to say I'm going to make a bald spot in your kingdom like there's going to be one place that's going to lose all the population. No, it's not true. They're dispersed. Maybe you're going to say there's benefit from them. Mephorad means it's like a mule. There's no fruit. There's no fruit, right? If a mule doesn't, can't, can't, have, can't have any children. Maybe you'll say there's a small uh, country from them. They're in every province of your whole kingdom. The same They have different laws. They don't eat our food. They don't marry our women. They don't marry their women to us. They don't keep the laws of the king. They excuse the whole thing. They say today is Shabbos. Today is Pesach. Right? So there's an acronym here in the Gemara. Shabbos, Pesach, Every day they've got an excuse why they can't work. There's no benefit for the king to let them. They eat and drink and they mock the king. If a fly falls in a glass of wine that one of them is doing, he throws out the fly and he drinks the wine. But if you, the king, would even touch one of their wines, the person would throw it to the ground he wouldn't drink it. So you see the way that they disrespect you. If it's fifth thing for the king, you can save Abdam. We should write to destroy them. And now he gives a bribe. He says, 10,000 talents of silver, I'll wait for the king. It was clear to the one who created the world. Eventually, Haman was going to weigh out Shkolim, the coins, to destroy the Jewish people. The Hashem knew this would happen once in history. Therefore, the Jews would give their Shkolim before Haman Shkolim. This was already a mitzvah of Machas es Hashakel before Purim time. That's the Pshat in the Mishnah. The first of Adar, the Sanhedrin says, everyone should pay up the Shkalim 
and get rid of the Kalayim. So that's what's going on, right? When the first of Adar already, this is the time to do it. Why? Because we start doing it. When do we start using the coins? Uh, the, in Nisan, we learned that there's one month, we, we learned this in, in, in Rosh Hashanah, there's one month when we start using from the new Shkala, and that's Nisan. But we start the collection 30 days before. So it's very significant that 30 days before, Akhar before the date of the annihilation, when the Jews were supposed to be annihilated, that's always that the Jews are giving shekels. Muhammad wanted to bribe with the shekels, with the silver coins, and here the Jews can, are countering that with the Koach of uh, giving their coins to the Beit Mikdash. What is the king's response? Keep your money. Do whatever you want. So it seems like Achashverosh is all too happy to do this. So the Gemara says, What's the example? How can we understand here the story of Haman and Achashverosh? What can we compare it to? You have two people. One has dirt in his field. Another person has a big hole in his field. The owner of the ditch says to himself, I wish... That the owner would, 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 would let me buy all of his dirt off of him. It would be good. I could fill up my ditch. Baal or the owner of the mound, says, I wish that somebody would give me a ditch that I could pay for so I could get the mound out of my, out of my field. So everybody needed the other one. And they were both willing to pay. After some days, they both met each other. The owner of the ditch said to the owner of the mound, sell me your mound. He says, take it for free. I, I'm, I'm happy, right? Good. So they both wanted to destroy the Jews. So even though Haman was offering the money, Hachashrash was very happy, right? He didn't need it. But there's got to be something deeper. It's a very bad parable. In the parable, the Pshad is they each have a different interest. And they're meeting up because the other one fills the interest, right? You have this, you have the mound, and I have the dirt. I'm sorry, you have the mound, and I have the hole. How does that play out here? There's, there's got to be a little bit of a deeper thing. How is it mutually beneficial, like one, more, more, both Muhammad and uh, Ahasuerus?